All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Yo, 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 it's the Daily Faceoff Show. Today is Wednesday, February 9th, and I am joined by a special guest today. That's Chris Gear, former Vancouver Canucks assistant GM and chief legal officer. Chris, joining me as a co-host for the first time today since joining Daily Faceoff. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Frank. Uh, glad to be aboard in this uh, capacity. Yeah, awesome to have you. So let's uh, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with this. A lot happening last night in Boston. Brad Marchand does it again. And you look at really what unfolded in the waning seconds of the game last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. A match penalty assessed on the play along with a two-minute Roughing minor as Brad Marchand essentially just becomes unhinged. You see here, lurking near the crease, a punch to the face of an unsuspecting Tristan Jari in net. The two uh, had a little bit of a squabble earlier in the game when Marchand stole a puck off of his stick that was intended for a fan. And then comes back around while being grabbed by a linesman and pokes Jari in the face with his stick. He's been offered an in-person hearing today with the Department of Player Safety. This could be his... Eighth career suspension, he will have forfeited if he's suspended more than $1 million in career earnings, and he's already been suspended one time already this year. Chris, what do you think this is worth? What do you think he gets? And what do you think the Boston Bruins are feeling at this moment? Yeah, I mean, they've got to be growing tired of this with Marshawn, right? You know, already seven suspensions, 22 games, like you said, almost a million in forfeited earnings. I don't know if there was a full moon last night or what was going on, but just 
you know, three different incidents in the game that, that show a little bit of craziness. Um, you know, I, I kind of didn't mind the, the antics with Crosby, you know, preventing him from getting to the bench and even the, you know, knocking the, the puck out of Jari's stick earlier in the game. You know, that it, it's a bit weird, frankly, but, but it kind of goes with the territory of how Marshawn plays. So it, it was, you know, the, the game, the game could use some characters like that, but then at the end of the game, when he, you know, he punches Jerry when his head is turned and then even being restrained by the refs, uh, you know, bats his stick and hits him in the mask. Like that stuff, that's just uncalled for. And, you know, enough's enough with Marshawn. I think, I think at some point they've got to give him an even tougher suspension. All those suspensions don't seem to deter him. Uh, I'm not sure he's the kind of guy that, that cares. I think he's even said he doesn't care if he gets suspended because the money's, you know, he's got lots of money. Um, you know, he's like you said, he's, he's a bit unhinged. He's, he plays close to the edge and, and goes over it all the time. And I'm not sure any, any amount of suspension can, can stop this guy. It's just part of who he is. Um, but I almost wonder whether the league needs to start looking at, you know, suspensions that go into the playoffs. Um, not, not that length, but just maybe don't suspend him right away, but a suspension that could be triggered in the playoffs. When you have these repeat offender guys, maybe that's the only way to, to really get at what can stop them. Yeah, I don't know what's going to deter him. Uh, it's also a big reason why the Bruins love him. I mean, he plays on that edge and has also transformed himself into one of the real elite players in the game. I had sort of flirted with having Brad Marchand on my Hart Trophy ballot at the midseason because he's been that good. And even the stuff off the ice, the tweets, the social media, the comments yeah. in the media, like it's all been fun, except you get to a moment like last night and you're like, okay, you got to be able to rein it in and, and draw the yeah. line. He clearly isn't able to do that. And it kind of brings us to what was an overall tough night for the Bruins. Uh, it was kind of like our pets' heads are falling off type of night for Boston. You have Patrice Bergeron who leaves the game with an injury. You blow a two-goal lead. Marshan goes off. And, oh, by the way, news earlier in the day that Tuka Rask is likely to end his comeback bid after just four games. And you take a look at the numbers, they weren't pretty and a tough spot for the Boston Bruins because Tuka Rask was supposed to play some games in AHL Providence to really get warmed up before making his return to the NHL. COVID-19 got in the way of that. The Providence Bruins didn't end up playing games and he gets put right into the fire in the NHL. 8.44 save percentage, not good enough. And now the Bruins are in a spot where clearly they didn't feel all that comfortable with Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman, even though those two guys seem to have a great relationship, that you send Swayman to the minors and now you're bringing him back up again and putting him in a spot where well, why did we go out and sign Rask anyway if we were comfortable with the guys that we had? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I think I think given Rask's pedigree and obviously the seasons he's had in the past with the Bruins, they, they it was probably worth a shot for them to try and bring him in. And obviously he wanted that opportunity. So I, I don't think it was necessarily a bad call to, to give him that runway. Um, but it's so hard to come in mid-season, not have a training camp, uh, I know he worked hard recuperating from the injury and, and to get back to this place, but you know it's it's not a it's not a place where you can on the job rehab right or on the job try to get back into form. Uh, eight eight forty four save percentage isn't going to cut it, and uh, you know now with another injury, I think I think the experiment probably is over. 
So as someone that worked hand in hand in terms of negotiating contracts and taking a look at the Canucks cap, so quickly for the best step moving forward for the Bruins, probably just to have Rask retire and then that million dollar hit comes off the books? Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest thing. Now, now whether Rask, you know, will retire is is another story. He might decide that that money that he signed for is is his to, to keep, right? That he worked hard trying to get back and, and make a return. Uh, if that's the case, they will have the option to put him on long-term injured reserve and, and use that space. Um, but probably best, you know, for the for the Bruins to get to maximize that that million dollars of space if he just does retire. But we'll see how that unfolds. So in a front office, how do you manage the conversation now that, you know, unfolds with Swayman having been the odd guy out for a little bit? Obviously, we saw the photos there with Allmark. They get along pretty well. And so it'll be easy to reassimilate him that way. But in terms of keeping his confidence up, how do you manage that as a front office? Yeah, I think just, again, given given that Rask was a big part of the organization for so many years, it's not like you you went out and brought somebody in completely from from outside the organization to displace Swayman. It's it's a guy that, you know, is part of Bruins lore, really. So, uh, you know, I think Swayman will understand. And uh, he's still a young guy. I think the front office just has to talk to him and say, look, we had to give Rask a shot. But, you know, you were always you were always going to be part of this. And um, now you're a bigger part than you might have been if Rask had stayed. But, you know, I, I think everybody's professional here and, and they'll, they'll all get it. Hmm, interesting. So, Chris, I've got my camo on and we've been running our deadline war room series on dailyfaceoff.com this week, where we're taking a look at each of the eight teams in the Metropolitan Division today. And the Carolina Hurricanes, certainly uh, leading the Eastern Conference at the All-Star break, are a team of massive intrigue because you look at the way that their team's constructed, there doesn't seem to be many holes. And not only that, they also don't really have any cap space to go around when you take a look at what their primary objective is when it gets to the deadline. From my view, as much as Don Waddell says he wants to give this team uh, up until March 21st to figure out whatever those needs may be, for me, it, it's beefing up the blue line. And when it's, it's not just about maybe adding a depth defenseman, here's where the Carolina Hurricanes intrigue me when you think about moving forward, what they might do. They don't seem to be a front office that nibbles around the edges. They're a team that seems to swing big, wants to make changes. And I, you know, I reported in the story on dailyfaceoff.com today, the idea that they've been talking to teams previously about an attempt to maybe move a guy like Brady Shea, Nino Niederreiter, pending unrestricted free agent. In a year where you gave up your first round pick to get Yasperi Kotkaniemi, um, you're in a spot where you don't have cap space. Maybe you need to move one of those pieces in order to try and make a change. But I guess the question is, do you think they need to make a change? Well, that, that's the big question. I, I actually don't think they need to make a change. They're, you know, they've got a solid, a, a top four defense core as, as anyone in the league. They've got a really well-balanced forward group with, you know, high-end talent from Aho and Svechnikov and Trocek and guys like that, but, but solid all the way through their lineup. Um, Freddie Anderson's given them a good backstop all year long. So they, they really don't have any holes. Like you said, some defensive depth. Uh, would definitely help. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe some toughness if they get into a interdivisional battle with, you know, Washington and Tom Wilson or the Rangers with Ryan Reeves. So, you know, maybe there's a, a small element that they can add that way, but um, you know, really this is a team that's, that's flown under the radar a bit with, with, you know, Florida and Tampa and Colorado kind of taking most of the headlines, but 
this is a really solid team that could do some damage. And um, we'll see if they do that that sort of big swing that you're referring to or whether they kind of go with the guys that got them there. Yeah, I just think back to the summer that they had. I don't think you know enough people realize or have paid attention to the fact that they have nine new faces in their lineup from last season. I mean, that's a massive overhaul, including switching out both of their goaltenders, which, as you mentioned with Freddie Anderson, has paid off handsomely. Antti Ranta has been good in net as well. But nine new faces on a 23-man roster, that's a ton. That's a front office that uh, isn't afraid of change. And so uh, I'll be real interested to see. I, I think they've been linked to John Klingberg and certainly some other defensemen. You see Ian Cole as a healthy scratch on Tuesday night in Ottawa. Ethan Bear has been up and down. Brendan Smith has been fine for his salary, has been serviceable, but uh, I could just see a change coming on the back end. We'll see what happens there. We're now less than six weeks away until the trade deadline on March 21st. And that brings us to the Pittsburgh Penguins, another team that's really been solidly entrenched atop the Metropolitan Division standings. Another team that on paper doesn't really have very many holes. They're solid down the middle. They're happy with their centers. That's the way Ron Hextall likes to build his team is down the middle. They've got depth scoring. They've got a back end that's built for playoff hockey. But for me, when you look at the top priority for the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to the deadline, it's they need a backup goalie. Casey DeSmith not cutting it to this point. 892 save percentage. And he's been a guy that I think when you look at the importance of this position, Tristan Jari's held down the fort. He's played a ton of games. He's been excellent. Uh, and his all-star appearance uh, this weekend validated how good of a season that he's had. But when you look at that position, not just with potential injuries that might pop up, but what happens if Jari gets to May and has a mental block and melts down again the way that he did in the first round last year? That has to be the one position that if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're thinking, man, we got to find a way to upgrade, but who makes sense in that spot? And and what assets do you have to give up to get it? Because you have no cap space and you don't want to give up a lot of futures. Yeah, Pittsburgh's a really perplexing one for me because, you know, obviously they've had a, a great season. I think they've, they've exceeded most people's expectations. They've only got 11, uh, 11 losses. <clears throat> not counting their overtime losses, right? So, I mean, they're they're among the league leaders in, in regulation losses. Um, and yet they've done mo- they've done it mostly without Jenny Malkin, who missed a big part of the season. So, you know, I, I kind of think they've been punching abun- above their weight class a little bit, but, you know, anytime you've got players like Sidney Crosby and, and the season that Jari's had, you know, I, I think there's going to be a temptation to to try and add or to try to, to as you said, you know, give them give them some better backup goaltending and, and maybe another piece here or there. I almost think Pittsburgh's a team that, you know, despite where they are, they could almost be sellers moderately or, or just to stand pat. Um, they've got an older team, you know, earlier in the season, we, we saw the uh, Latang, Crosby and Malkin, the, the only trio that's been together 16 years. I mean, you know, at some point this team needs to start thinking of the future. It's probably not this year, but they're close to that. And so I find it uh, going to be really fascinating to see what Ron Hextall does. Yeah, at the very least, it's a core in flux. I mean, Rust, Malkin, Latang, all pending unrestricted free agents and are at a spot where what do you do moving forward? I guess the playoffs will dictate a lot of that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that they could skin this cat. But I just think at this point, you're, you're spot on in your analysis that, it, you know, 
while it may be tempting to try and sell off a piece, like how many teams would be interested to try and add a player like Brian Rust or Chris Letang at the deadline that you probably owe it to the core that's been there a long time to at least give them one more chance, maybe without adding a lot, but also without subtracting at the same time where you're not giving up future assets and you're letting roll what you've paid for all season long. So let's continue the talk with the Metropolitan Division. Let's get to the All-32 delivered by DoorDash. Pleased to welcome to the Daily Faceoff show Kevin Kurz, who covers the New York Islanders for The Athletic. A move cross-country for Kevin. He started off uh, and has been covering the San Jose Sharks for a long time uh, with The Athletic and then moved to, uh, to cover the Islanders this season. And Kevin, as you've gotten your feet wet uh, covering this team, what's happened here? Like, give me the quick two-minute, you know, down-and-dirty, detailed explanation of, like, you know, this is a team that's so many picked to win the division, back-to-back trips to the Eastern Conference Final. They can't score, and yet Mm -hmm. they have a core that's mostly locked in. Yeah, I I got here in middle middle December, and it was already pretty dire at that point. And, you know, in my preparation to start covering this team, I did ask as many people as I could what's going on. And, you know, I got some varying replies. Um, A lot of it, I believe, was circumstantial, uh, starting 13 games on the road before opening a new building. One of the first teams to experience a real significant COVID outbreak, and the league really made them play through that. Uh, whereas maybe a couple weeks later or a month later, they were actually canceling games. And, and I actually went through the same thing with the Sharks because the Sharks uh, were really the first team to suffer a, a significant COVID outbreak, and they were forced to play right through it. And the Islanders were basically the same thing. So, um, you know, that's part of it. Um, but, you know, you can't overlook the fact that right now there are too many nights and too many stretches during games where they just look a little bit old and a little bit slow. And uh, I'm talking about Zdeno Chara on the back end. Um, You know, the fourth line has been up and down guys like Cal Clutterbuck, uh, Matt Martin. Um, So, you know, as, as, as one source put it to me, he, he, he thinks they just got, they just got old quickly. And, you know, we'll see. They, they have obviously suffered, like many other teams, uh, a few significant COVID outbreaks. Now they've got everybody back. They've got Ryan Pulak back, who was obviously a big piece to that back end. He missed more time than originally expected. Um, and he played the two games before the All-Star break here. So there's a full complement of players, but there's still a number of guys that are going to have to be much, much better, especially up front. The Josh Baileys, Kyle Palmieri's. Um, and, you know, we'll see if some of these younger guys like Anthony Bovillier, Oliver Wallstrom can can take the next steps in their careers. And, uh, you know, Noah Dobson also in the back end. So uh, it's a lot going on, but they're healthy now. And they've got a real compact schedule here over the second half, like every team. But the, I, no, no NHL team has played fewer games than the Islanders. So the schedule might be their biggest hurdle to try and get back to respectability here. Kevin Frank and I were talking before the show about just the number of contracts the Islanders have that are locked in for for term. So I think twelve guys with more than two years or two years or more. What do they do going forward to try and get themselves out of that, or or is it, is it just a case of you know the, the contracts that they've had will perform better in the future? 
Well, I think they still believe in the core of the group. And so there's no realistic scenario in which they blow this up in my mind, just because of those contracts that you mentioned. And uh, so, so we'll see that they have a couple pieces that maybe they could sell off before the deadline to get them some maybe mid to late round picks, whether a team wants a guy like a Zach Parisi or a Cal Clutterbuck or uh, an Andy Green. You know, it's not going to be a, a big return for any of those guys or any of their pending UFAs. But I do think they still believe in the core group. Um, and they just need more out of, out of these guys. Uh, Kyle Palmieri, especially one goal in 20, 29 or 30 games, I believe it is Josh Bailey with three goals. Um, and it was interesting. Barry Trotz did hint yesterday in his media availability that, you know, maybe he's given some of these guys a little bit too much rope just based on what they've done in the past. And so for me, when they resume the schedule here tonight in Vancouver, it's going to be interesting to see if, Maybe he does give an Oliver Wallstrom a bigger stake in the team to see if he's someone that can, uh, you know, thrive in in a, in a more prominent role. Bovillier, same thing. Uh, Noah Dobson, Robin Sallow is another guy, uh, former second round pick who I think has been pretty good on the back end. Do you put him in while, you know, scratching a guy like an Andy Green or as a Dano Chara? So, um you know, we'll see. I think it's, uh, again, there's another couple more weeks, obviously, before I think the trade deadline talk really starts to ramp up. Uh, but I don't see them blowing it up because they do have those pretty long-term significant contracts for, for some guys that uh, I don't think they'd be able to move, at least at the moment. So one guy that doesn't have major term, but and also doesn't have major dollars, which makes him really attractive, is Scott Mayfield. He's been a big part of their back end over these last number of years. Do you see any, as some chatter has picked up about him over the last week or so, do you see any opportunity or, or window where the Islanders could potentially look to move him because of the value that he has? Or is this a group that not just for the contracts, but also for the previous success that they had, does maybe Lou Lamorello look at this and say, hey, we're just going to run this same group back again and see if we can get a different result, given that there's been so many wacky factors to this year? Yeah, and I can see why Mayfield would be an attractive target. Uh, he's right now playing in the top pair with Adam Pellick, and they've been very, very good night in and night out. And that's why when Ryan Pulak did return a couple games ago, Trotz actually has him on the third pair. Now, that's partly because he wants Pulak to work in, uh, you know, doesn't want to give him 23 minutes a night right away because he's been hurt. But it's also because Mayfield's been very good. And I think there's been a little bit of an uptick in his offensive game as well as uh, his defensive game. And he's a guy that just personally, I didn't know a whole lot about covering covering the Western Conference. Sorry about that. <laughs> um but he's impressed me. And, you know, he's a guy on a good contract another uh, another year after this one. And I believe just about a million five. And there are other guys in the organization that have progressed. Uh, Noah Dobson, I think, is one maybe the biggest bright surprise on this team so far in terms of a young player uh, producing. Uh, and I mentioned Robin Sallow as well. So, uh you know, if they wanted to maybe wade into the waters of making a big deal, whether it's for a guy like a Jacob Chikrin or what they also need is a scoring winger, right? If it's someone like that that might become available, sure, I think they would look at that. Um, but I also think they really do like Mayfield. It, it would take uh, a really significant return for them to pry Mayfield out of this organization. 
Makes sense. Yeah. Lou Lamorello has shown tons of confidence in this team, not just with the contracts he's handed out, but also with the way that he had an opportunity last summer a little bit to remake some of this team and kept it mostly the same. We'll see if he does that again at the trade deadline and this offseason. Thanks so much to Kevin Kurz for joining us today from The Athletic. This has been another edition of the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. All right, Chris, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. We'd be happy to take your questions. And a busy day for the Department of Player Safety. They're also going to have a hearing at some point with Marcus Foligno from the Minnesota Wild for his knee to the head of Winnipeg Jets forward Adam Lowry. This was actually the second time that these two guys ended up fighting in last night's game between the Wild and the Jets. The Wild were shut out for the first time this season. Season, so tempers were flaring and clearly Lowry and Felino, no love lost. My question to you is, Chris, how many games for Marcus Felino? Well, I think you got to start by looking at the fact that Felino has had a really clean career without any prior incidents. Uh, so he's not somebody that the Department of Player Safety knows well. Um, but there was an incident earlier this year uh, involving Jason Spezza with a knee on Neil Pionk. Uh, that was a six-gamer that got reduced to four games after an appeal. I think a little bit of a different circumstance because it was it was a play that where, where Spezza was coming in with some velocity and, and a hit to the head that actually injured Pionk. Um, so I don't think it goes that high. I think I, think I have to agree with uh, Tim Peel's analysis that it's probably two games given... Uh, Foligno's clean record. Yeah, it's interesting. The Spezza one, I think, if I'm not mistaken, ended up being reduced. And obviously a different play. That was a hockey play. A little bit of revenge, you know, part of that, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But this one, not a hockey play and and kind of uh, pretty dirty. So Foligno admitted that he he lost his marbles a little bit. And, uh, you know, Dean Evason said post-game, they just lost their cool. So, um, you know, I think you're on the right track in terms of two games. Uh, Tim Peel also said two games, uh, and Tim Peel had a full breakdown on dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, he was thinking in the three-game range, obviously, for Marshan ends up being a little bit light as the NHL has offered him an in-person hearing, so they can suspend him five or more. We'll see where Felino ends up. Now let's get to our daily face-off daily bet segment. Tyler Remchuk joins us from Arizona where he's catching a little sun after All-Star Weekend. Tyler, how'd you do last night? Finally, a positive night on the betting front for me last night, Frank. I went two and one, so we were up about 1.2 units. So starting to get that number going in a positive direction here. I'll be honest, not a lot that I like on the slate tonight but i did find a couple of plays here we'll start out with the edmonton oilers who are taking on the chicago blackhawks they are big favorites as you can see the oilers got off to a rough start in terms of their second half of the season last night losing four nothing to vegas but they are two one and oh so far this season in the second half of back-to-back games that's actually a trend that dates back to when dave Tippett took over as their coach they've always been a very good team in the second half of back-to-backs and tonight they get to go up against a chicago team that lost three in a row heading into the all-star break there's just 8, 12, and 4 on the road this season. Edmonton started Mike Smith last night. If they go with Stuart Skinner tonight, I like this play even more. They've won three of their last four Stuart Skinner starts. Edmonton in regulation is the play at minus 125. 
For my prop, I like going out to Seattle where I don't necessarily trust the Kraken to cover the puck line. They are big favorites, but they're taking on an Arizona team that just gave up five goals last night to the Vancouver Canucks, and they started Carol Vamelka in that game. So they could be going with Scott Wedgwood tonight, who has 20 goals against in his last five starts. I'm going with Jared McCann to just pick up a point tonight. The payout is not great. Minus 150. Usually I like to chase plus money payouts here. Yesterday, Frank, you said scared money don't make money. Today I'm going with the thinking that safe money will make me money. Minus 150. McCann to pick up a point. He's done this in five of his last six games. He has seven points in that span as well. Top line center. Plays on the power play. I like the play here. Minus 150 isn't great, but I'm thinking it's a safe one. Like a nice, easy drive into the middle of the fairway. McCann to pick up a point. Oilers in regulation are my two bets, Frank, and that's all I got. Tyler does like to say uh, it's never a bad day to make money off the Arizona Coyotes, so we'll see how he does here with the Jared McCann play. Chris, that brings us to Garbage Time, my favorite segment of the show, and it seems like you were not alone in perhaps potentially being on the edge of your seat last night with some action in your own backyard. Yeah, JT Miller uh, did it again, right? Took the puck behind his own net. Uh, skated through the Arizona Coyotes defense as they just were spectators on the play. Um, really nice little move around the, the D and, and a tuck behind the goalie. Uh, it just makes it very interesting as the Canucks contemplate JT Miller's future, right? Um, Millsy's such an important guy and, and can make plays like this. Uh, he's, he's done those N10 rushes a number of times this year. So it just adds to the, the, the fuel to the fire, right? Uh, will they move him? Will they keep him? Um, every time he does something like this, it makes him more attractive to other teams, but it also uh, reinforces how important he is to the Canucks. So uh, the drama will continue to unfold. And what I love after this, uh, I don't know if you can, you can see it, but uh, Miller comes and as he's high-fiving his teammate, there's just this little smirk as if to say, yeah, look what I just did. Um, love to see it. Yeah, I love the attitude, and I think you're right. He's delivered on just about every aspect of his game, really, since arriving in Vancouver a number of years ago. Who knows what happens at the deadline? I can only say one thing for certain. There are quite a few teams that are interested in JT Miller. I mentioned today in our deadline war room piece on dailyfaceoff.com, the New York Rangers, he is their A, number one priority. That's the guy that they keep talking about in their war room. We'll see if they can pull it off. They have uh, certainly the envy of the NHL in terms of the things Things that they can offer cap space prospects draft picks they've got it all and uh, they've also got roster players that they can send back so fascinating trade partner for any team as we get closer to the deadline six weeks away chris it was an absolute pleasure having you alongside today for the ride that's all the time that we have on today's daily faceoff show keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news insight and analysis from around the national hockey league thank you to chris thank you to kevin kurz we'll be back right here tomorrow 12 noon eastern you know where to find us until then have a great day everyone Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.